Welcome everybody. Today I'm really honoured and pleased to bring you a different episode of Photography Insights. This show that goes behind the scenes and interviews people from the photography world. Now recently, after speaking with Sherry Limber, um, she put me in contact with this amazing project called The Yellow Rose Project. It's run by two lovely people called Meg Griffiths and Frances Jakobek. Now when I researched their work, I felt very privileged to talk to them as it's all about the right for women to vote in America with the 19th Amendment. The link to photography is that on the centenary of a hundred years, they put together a collective of female artists to showcase their photography around the subject and that symbolises the movement of the suffrages and the yellow rose elements. Now this type of history is something to talk about and learn from. Meg herself is a fine art photographer and educator, Texas Women's University. Frances is head of exhibitions at the Bruce Silverstein Gallery in New York. We do talk a little bit about Meg's trip to Nevada and a book she put together with Elliot Dudick. Um, now, one of the elements um, she talks about here is it, it's portrayed from a non-gendered or labelled manner, which is quite an interesting way uh, of putting a book together. Um, we do also uh, talk about Frances' self-portrait project, and uh, that's quite interesting too. But in this one, we're going to be talking about voting rights, exhibitions and online content, history from different voices, the suffrage movement, unconscious mind and intuition, art emergencies, dealing with groups, the right gallery, nudity, ego and self-portraiture, and creating books. Now of course Meg and Meg and Francis go through my random questions. We just run off a couple and with it coming up towards Christmas we thought we'd have a little bit of fun. So I hope you do enjoy them more. I hope you do enjoy. I hope you do enjoy that. And we do discuss a couple of people um, during the show. Uh, so links to their work are on the show notes as usual, and links to Francis and Meg's websites as well. So please do check them out. Um, before I take you into the show. And please don't forget, Peter Static Age is still running his still running his discount through December by using the code PHLOG. So I hope you um, come back for next week's instalment. That'll be just before Christmas. Um, this one, this one, I've had to um, work on very quickly. Uh, it was only arranged uh, on the Monday. Uh, edited Tuesday night and finished and published Wednesday night. So I'm probably going to be a couple of minutes over my 9pm deadline that I set for Wednesdays. But please bear with me. Sometimes these things happen. Um, as you know, I'm still very busy at work, which has affected me a little bit. But it's Christmas soon, so lots of nice things will happen. Please stay safe and I will talk to you again next week. So let's play the intro and away our guests Meg and Francis. Mm -hmm. 
welcome to the show. We have Francis and Meg. Mm -hmm. Hello. Hello. Thank Thanks you for, for joining me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having us. It's amazing to be able to do things like this through technology. So, Yes, uh, it's the best thing we can do at the minute, uh, whilst no one's allowed to travel, isn't it? So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's an interesting subject, um, what you two have been um, doing. Um, and especially, I think, for someone outside the country, it's probably more important than you probably realise as someone from living in the country. Because I was thinking about this, um, and like the date when um, you could vote uh, in another country, so like even here, I had a look at it, and it was like 1918, 1928, even for the UK. Right. Which is shocking, really. Yeah, it is really shocking to see those statistics for countries all over the world and how long it took to give women the right to vote. And, you know, to me, that, that just sort of made me think, like, wow, you know, uh, what were they what were they trying to suppress <laughs> you know like yeah. you know why, why wouldn't you know and there's there's probably a number of reasons for that in various countries but you know it's it is it is really shocking it has it has only been a hundred years that's why you know doing this project was so important for us um yeah. for sure i think it was surprising for a lot of people too yeah. um even women, you know, women in this country who, uh, to think of a hundred years, it's like, oh wow, you know, I've known people who have been alive for all of those hundred <laughs> years, and thinking of that as um, something new in their lifetimes uh, feels feels pretty shocking, I think. And that was that was true for um, for me a lot of um, surprises. <laughs> which you you take things for granted in a way. Um, so I think it's an important time to to bring it up and to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah, I think now is better than any time. It's really strange for someone who like like me because it's like, why have these things existed? Uh, these problems happened in the past for so long? Because like Meg said, why would you segregate and not give that opportunity to someone? Because we've probably treated them as equals and not all other parts of life. Um, so why all of a sudden, oh, you go into the one, one place to vote, no, 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 you're not allowed. It seems really strange. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the rhetoric back 100 years ago was that, um, you know, women's place was really just, it belonged in the home and it didn't belong in politics and right. women were too emotional. And I think that kind of rhetoric you can still see today in politics when you see headlines in the news or things like that. So, um, you know, really it's, I guess, a question of like, how far have we really come <laughs> if we're still saying these things? Um, but I think in terms of like, you know, specifically talking about the colored vote, like women who are black, women who are, um, you know, um, Asian American, women who are uh, Native American, all of them were not able to have the right to vote even with the amendment passing okay. um, in 1920. That didn't happen until much later. And so through various 
laws that had to be enacted or yeah. amendments that had to be put into place. So, and years and years of, of struggle. So really even, and part of our whole goal was a hundred years, yes, but that was only really a hundred years for white women. It wasn't a hundred years, you know, for all women yeah. in our country. I think you could probably say that in other countries as well. Um, mm. Not that we've done that particular um, research, but yeah, so it's, it's it's been you know yeah shocking and interesting you know researching all of this kind of um breaking down the myth that is seneca falls and the myth that is um you know the women's right to vote and even the movement to get to the 19th amendment i mean it did involve various movements on various fronts um and by women of color and they're just not included in even that history i mean i wasn't taught that history in school and i know francis wasn't either so hmm. you know, a lot of women were written out and so part of our goal for this project was yes it's a it's a celebration in a way and it should be acknowledged and hmm. in a way celebrated but it should also be you know people should be aware of like you know, what really happened leading up to the 19th Amendment and like what happened after that and how much further and um, more, how much more of a struggle it took for other women to be able to vote. Yeah. So I think right now is such an interesting time in, in thinking about who is writing history. Yeah. Um, so this project is serving as, as a way to look back on our history and what is happening now. And I've recently been thinking a lot about like the archive of the internet, you know, like all of these conversations that are happening via social media and posts and layering of information and really how we are served our news through social media. But how long lasting is that? You know, how we look back to history books and we have this kind of mm. concrete American history that somebody decided to give American students. What is even writing about 2020 and voting this absolutely insane election mm. and the past, you know, four or five years, um, just leading up to, to um, the current president's role? What is that going to look like as a document? And I think our project now coming out as um, physical exhibitions and something online that's accessible is is kind of this tactic to to acknowledge that history needs different voices. Yeah. Um, and and looking and acknowledging a lot of different parts of our history um, and not all written by one voice, which I think historically is, is what we're dealing with when we think about American history. A lot of it is hidden away because they're like, oh, whoopsie, <laughs> you know, yeah. don't, don't write that in. So we're not taught that and we don't, and we continue to make terrible, terrible mistakes because we don't acknowledge the downfalls of our, of our American history. Yeah. So. I mean, there's a couple of important words you said in there, which are decided history. You know, like you say, someone at one point said, this is the history, not this, these things happened in history or these people. It was, I'll choose what I want to put in the books, and it? And I saw this with, um, I interviewed the grandson 
I'll, I'll probably get this wrong. It's either grandson or great grandson, so I apologise. Uh, um, Edward Curtis's um, family. Yeah. So obviously, Edward Curtis was that amazing photographer. He did fantastic work with um, the real people living in America, and he got a load of facts out about Custer and things like this. Uh, and that's hidden in history. Um, you know, they rebunked the changes in the history books because no one would believe him or they didn't. Well, the proof was there, but they choose to ignore it. Mm. Uh, now, this is very different to what you're saying. I mean, what you're saying is a monumental change. Um, but again, it's what you're saying is it's the American history thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, luckily we do have a number of people who are um, writing really amazing books uh, that are enlightening out there. Hmm. Um, Martha S. Jones and Lisa Lisa Tetrault are two um, that are writing in you know various things, but about this particular um, women's movement and the suffrage movement. And you know, to me, it's just really interesting that there were you know in their research, they've uncovered, you know, so much about, um, yeah, women writing women out of history. Like I, I, I would almost expect it in a way if it was like a man and somehow writing a woman out of history. It's like, you yes. look at photo books, yeah. you look at photo books or photo texts, um, like an anthology of photography. It's very Western European and there's very few women in it usually. Wow, and yeah, so, you know, that's just been the way that it's been. And I think everybody's trying to change that now. But, um, you know, through researching these other women who are, are historians and they've uncovered stuff like, you know, women, white women writing other white women out of history who were suffragists and integral to the movement. And, you know, like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton were two women who wrote the first women's history essentially in the US of the movement. Mm -hmm. And they wrote, they wrote out other women, they definitely wrote out women of color. And so it's, to me, that was really surprising. And also that they were very elitist and also racist. <laughs> you know, So that to me was surprising too. Yeah. Um, that they, they would have rather had white women have the vote before black men. And they were very vocal about that. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's just stuff, yeah, they're not teaching in the history books. So all of that stuff that we've uncovered, that's, you know, I'm sure many of the women that we've worked with have uncovered as well. It shows up in their work. Mm -hmm. um, and it, to me, yeah, again, what Francis was saying, it's like mm -hmm. allowing people to go through their own journey of what um, women's history is and what it means to them and um, what they uncover individually and through their own lens and perspective and situation in life and to share, you know, whatever they've uncovered with us in this like collective yeah. um, collaboration. It's just, it was really, it's been really amazing and it just keeps getting more amazing, frankly, yeah. you know, as we keep revisiting the work. So Oh, it's it's going to keep giving without a doubt, yeah. But when I come across something like this, it's always really interesting that it's deep founded with um, history or there's a good reason for it, but then it becomes art and the, the potential is amazing. You know, I've seen it with a street photographer, um, interviewed a lovely lady in New York, and she's doing a, 
um, street photography thing for women. And then uh, I had um, Polly Arungu on a couple of weeks ago from New York, all to do with black women's photography. And I love these idea of themes and the way everyone's coming together. Um, and hopefully things will get better in the future. Um, I know not everyone agrees with me on that, but um, surely well, if we're all better educated, it'll help us. Sure, and the more we the more we work together and um, support one another, it could it could only go up from there. You know, I think it's an important time to be to have a dash of optimism with with what we're doing. Um, you know, I keep I feel so grateful for the format of this project and the successes we've been able to have, mm. even with something like COVID going on. Yeah. Um, it's been able to reach a lot of people um, despite all of these, um, let's call them barriers that we're dealing with and how we would typically think to view artwork or think to have conversations. But I feel really lucky that, you know, like Zooms and opportunities like this, like, you know, there's Meg and I have met with different classes and different organizations to do talks and to see kind of everybody in a room, hmm. you know, it is, there's an element that feels really, I feel like we're really blessed to be doing this in this year and be able to have this platform to share it. Uh, so, you know, this is our first podcast. So it's, it's <laughs> so here we are, <laughs> another, another step. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but this is what technology was invented for, wasn't it? All technology is oriented to make life easier, not to be a damn slave to it. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, communication, really, connection, those are things, right, that technology is created for to make, to make, um, you know, to be able to hear your grandmother's voice in the same room that you're in, even though they're, they're way, way far away. And that, you know, that's the invention of the telephone. But, um, you know, and I think the same thing could be said for like photography too, you know, it's, you know, breaking down barriers and walls and creating connection and community and bringing people together through sharing of like perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's about communication really at the end of the day and connection, but yeah. And, um, but yeah, <laughs> the computer is the right email and stuff. It is. It does create like a bit of a, uh, like a slave element to it. You wake up every morning and yeah, here they are. Yeah, I mean, you you have to learn to control it at some point. Um, I know for some people it's probably not not a big issue, but uh, it certainly can be. Uh, it's something I've talked about recently where I'm trying to reduce my uh, time online. Um, for certain things, but it really is helping me. Um, I've found the time to edit a load of images, ready for some publication next year. My first scene I'll be doing. What I've realised through um, podcasting with people is my pictures can be whatever I want and how happy I am with them, and I've got to stop thinking about pleasing the masses, comparing to other people, um, um, and they're very popular with people and I've had people commenting um, I'll just put them in a random group and say 
what do you see in this image? Mm, and it's cool. got me thinking that actually, um, psychologically speaking, people are actually seeing things in my images that I've never influenced. And like, um, you'll start seeing various different responses and you're like, wow, that just shows that like the unconscious mind can do lots of things for you. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the mind, the mind is, I think actually the thing that has to catch up to the body or the intuition always, you know, like we, your eye, you know, in a fraction of a second can, and then you take this picture, right. Based on, you just, you knew you had to do it at everything lined up. Right. And you know, then it only it is until later that your mind kind of makes sense of all that. You know, I think, mm. I think the mind is not the part that makes the picture, but, at least for me. Yeah, but you see, I think because obviously you you two are artists, so you've understood that probably um, easier or earlier than I have, whereas I've, had, I've taken a lot of photos and they've just been photos. Yeah. Whereas now they're becoming something more. and That's, It's all a process. That's very cool to be um to be aware of the journey while you're on it too. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's been really cool. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm privileged to speak to people like yourself and all help influence me. And the more I learn about the world, it all helps. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, my mom always said, um, you know, but we're also like learning and learning from you in this moment too. Like my mom always said, um we're all teachers and we're all students yeah. like there's an opportunity anytime you're with anyone hmm. and it actually is a really great thing to take into the classroom too so there isn't this like hierarchical structure hmm. you know, like a student has an opportunity to teach you something on a daily basis as well if you're open to it um about you know what kind of teacher you are about patience about you know maybe they learned a new trick it could be anything i mean we also have such fresh eyes. It's so different, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I, I would say right back at you, Andrew. We're we're learning from you too. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. It's funny because when I was I was in uni as a very mature student as well, and um, I did a course on uh, entrepreneurship, and the lecture does a little bit, and uh, I brought back a magazine article I'd write, uh, I'd read, and I said everything. You taught us yesterday was wrong, and I'll, I'll give you my evidence and tell you why. And um, it was to do with you can mimic other people's businesses and actually be more successful if you do it right. And mm. I showed him like these massive company examples, and I always remember saying, "Yeah, you're right." Oh. And it was like that sort of point where I'd actually understood what education was. Uh, and mm -hmm. after that, uh, it was a breeze. But unfortunately, it was six months from the end of my uh, three-year degree. So uh, it came very late. So uh, I was very lucky. I managed to turn all my grades around, and uh, I came out with the best grade possible, actually. All right. Yeah, nice. so <laughs> I, I did very, very well. Um, but I always think it's because of the educators and the way they spoke and um, – helped and really pushed me to the point where mm. um you know i, I was going to quit no twos about it I, 
my work was awful, I couldn't write, no one could understand what I was writing. Uh, that was literally the last six months. Wow. Mm. Cool. Life is a big lesson, isn't it? For sure. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so do you want to explain a little bit more about um, why it was the Yellow Rose? And I mean, I've read up on it, but it's interesting to hear this. I'm sure the actual, mm. the, the, yeah, the what, what's the significance of it? Yeah, so um, when they were voting to ratify the amendment, um, they're in Tennessee, um, the um, Phoebe Ensminger Byrne was the mother of one of the legislators who was going to vote that day, Harry Byrne. Mm -hmm. And the those who were in opposition to the women's vote would wear red roses and those in favor of um, granting equal, equal voting rights would wear the yellow rose. Um, so historically the the colors for the movement are are purple, white, um, and gold, and the yellow um, is is part of that of uh, of supporting supporting the ratification of the amendment. Um, so she wrote to her her son a letter to. Um, <laughs> and, and I want to put the exact words in front of me that she wrote to me she said oh to be a good boy and um and to vote vote in um in favor of giving women the right to vote okay um so that yellow rose was a really strong symbol and we've we've brought it into our into our marketing for the project and kind of as like the backbone symbol um to represent this this small moment in time which was a huge marker for for women's right in the u.s yeah that's really interesting it's funny how uh, you know rose and, and colors mean so much mm -hmm. um yeah so it's um uh, even in in england the the purple i think it was purple green and white um for like the women's social and political union and hmm in England and then the gold kind of came in later um and it, let's see it was Kansas that adopted the sunflower was the first yellow flower to be to be used so you know depending on states what's what's native there what's available the um that flower would change which I really like thinking about too I suppose that makes actual sense the size of the country right yeah Right. Yeah. Yeah. All different. Um, all different. Um, seasonal availability. I guess. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That makes total sense. It, it's such a strange thing, um, and obviously, it was to do with law. So that's changed everything. There's to do. So would you call it a suffering, uh, or is it more of a case of a lack of being able to do something? Um, oh, the term suffrage, mm. exactly, like in, in terms of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the word actually is um, about voting. Oh, okay. So it is the right to vote, which is interesting. But it's, you know, in in the English language, we look at them as similar things, which yeah. I think is a, a interesting <laughs> dynamic, yeah. right, when we're on this topic of 
the lack of vote and how that could create suffering. Yeah. Uh, which I think it speaks to a lot of what is happening historically and what's happening right now um, to when, when we are given this opportunity to make a change. Um, and if we, um, and if we don't, what, what does that mean? Ramifications of that. So you've approached different mediums um, to get this message out. Well, I love the number of different artists you've got. It's amazing. I mean, how, how did you even manage this? Yeah, I mean, we, so our goal was that we wanted to have, you know, a diverse group of women mm -hmm. um, of all stages in their career, cultural backgrounds, you know, um, age ranges for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of our youngest is in her early 20s and one of our oldest um, is in her 70s. And, um, you know, we, we wanted that because that we felt like that was really important because maybe what it means to vote or obtain the right to vote or having always been um, in a, you know, in a country where they've been allowed to vote means something different to a person in their 20s than it does to a person in their 70s who may remember what it was like for their mother or even for themselves, I don't know, um, in terms of um, voting rights. So we knew we wanted a bunch of different kind of women. And so we reached out to our own networks, but we also asked for nominations from other women in our field, as well as we you know, did research and went online and, and looked at, at various sites and stuff and tried to figure out. Um, and we sent out probably some like 300 requests to women all over the country um, to be a part of the product. And, you know, we, our goal was we, we wanted to at least have 100 women. Mm -hmm. And so we met our goal, there's 105 and um but you know you can you can see that there's a number of women who decided not to participate to be part of the project for various reasons and mm -hmm. um we asked them about a year before uh the images were going to be launched so it was a year before the ratification so it gave them roughly about a year to actually make work okay um and um you know, so there, in terms of time, there's plenty of time. So, you know, in terms of, you know, women wanting to be a part of not wanting to be a part of the project is just very personal and um, could have been for a number of various reasons. But it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot of ladies, a lot of voices <laughs> that we have corralled, you know, so it's been, it's been amazing. It's not, it's not a light undertaking though, 100 people. I mean, you know, uh, as an educator, teaching a classroom is big enough, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, we have a class called Women in the Arts, and it's 100 students, um, you know, so, which, you know, you have to do grades and stuff. Um, I haven't had the pleasure of teaching that class yet, but I will, I'm sure, at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I took an English class in undergrad, um, and it was, like, well over 300 students. So yeah, I to yeah, it's a testament to teachers for sure. But um, in terms of our project, it is yeah, it's no small small thing to try and right. gather you know images from everyone, a bio picture from everyone, a bio statement, an artist statement if they have one, 
and to have them do it in a certain timeline and be in communication with everyone. It's, it's, it's a big thing, but, um, and so we, you know, it's interesting because Francis and I have very different jobs, right? But we both are like, we corral people uh-huh. really. I mean, like, as an educator, that's what I do. And as a person who works with artists already at, you know, the gallery, yeah. it's like, um, this is what she does. I mean, I remember at one point when I kind of got stressed or freaked out about something, she said, like, I'm a, what did you say? I'm trained in ER. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you had like got, you worked in an emergency room. And she was like, no, these are fine art emergencies. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Cause it's so true. I mean, it's like, you know, you just feel like you're putting out fires, right? I talked to an educator the other day and that's how they feel, you know, just like, when you're dealing with people on such an intimate level, especially about, you know, creativity and about deadlines and art, Mm. you know, everything does seem like so kind of like a crisis. (laughs) You have to like balance it with that. It is, it is art. We are dealing with artwork and like about an an important subject, but like there are real, no real emergencies in art, you know, Mm. glass breaks, things don't arrive on time, but, um, so it goes, you know, it's where we're privileged to be able to be, to do to host a project like this and have these sort of problems. So if yeah, great. And, you know, also to balance that out is like the artist wrangling, but then it's like all these connections. Hmm. So you, we have these friendships with, um, you know, a lot of the artists we knew already, but maybe half of them were brand new to ever, to ever talk to for, for me, which was really, really exciting. But then you also, you know, you want to put your best foot forward for, for the people who are working for you. You want to work for them. And um, it's a nice, it's a nice camaraderie that's come through this massive amount of people. Yeah. It must be a hard thing because I know the number of people I deal with frequently, and I know sometimes it's more, um, let's say it's more you and less them. And it's a bit more like, is this relationship worth it? Uh, because bear in mind, at the stage I'm talking about, I barely know a person. Um, and sometimes it's working off um, their, um, what's the word, um, their level of fame or um, what I can find out about them online. So you don't really know the real person. And until you get like yourself, who's been recommended by someone, then it's easy because you know they would only recommend nice people. And for me, that's why I'm just relaxed straight away. Yeah, that's good. I think for you to deal with that many people and know you want to get them to get some work out there because it'll benefit them and it'll benefit the community. Must mm-hmm. must be uh, hard on top of your jobs as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we this is kind of like our other full time job, you know, just it is a lot of stuff. I mean, there's PR stuff and then there's organizing exhibitions and a lot of emailing and image lists flying around. I mean, we just had a show open up actually on Friday in New Orleans that was all 105 pieces printed for the first time on the wall in one space. Wow. And so I printed that up at school and 
you know, so it is a lot of, it's a lot, it's a lot of work to pull stuff like this together, but it's so incredibly, it's so incredibly gratifying. And, and we knew when, you know, we reached out to women and then they did get back to us and they did say like, yes, I want to be a part of this. We knew, yeah, yeah they wanted to be a part of it. So, you know, they'll work for it. We'll work for it. And yeah. it really is the project that just like keeps on giving. Cause, um, you know, there's more and more, there are more and more things that will happen in the future and are planned and stuff. And, um, we're hoping to have a book published and we're having another show, um, in the summer. And actually there's another couple in the spring, I think. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, we're just, we're so grateful, but, you know, we're also aware that, you know, the, all of the women who donated essentially their time and creativity and energy um, away from their families, away from their other work, away from their daytime jobs, whatever multiple jobs they have, mm -hmm. you know, they did the work to put in and create the content. So, mm -hmm. you know, Francis and I feel this like sense of drive to be sure that that's seen, you know, and heard in a way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just, it just, yeah, it feels like such a gift yeah. really, oh, even though sometimes it's hard. It's, it's, it's so good. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the reward is when people come back and um, give you the material, cause then you know, they're really encouraged to do it. And it means something because I, I think that's the same with um, magazine publishers. They go through the same, so many submissions. And I mean, Francis, you must get loads of people looking after gallery. Um, we do. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place to be where um, I've been a, a photo nerd for as long as I can remember, you know, historical um, photography, was always was always really important to me in school, and we house we house the history of photography in the, in our drawers and in our inventory. But then we also work with contemporary artists, also. So it's a cool balance of um, working with people who, you know, make fine art, but then also hmm. actually, Bree Suters is a great example. We represent her at the gallery, um, and then she's also part of this project. And then she also does magazine work and um freelance things that keep keep an artist going to mm. be able to explore all these different aspects of it um so i the gallery um has been really really great for me in terms of learning how to how to have um, a fine art career and also you know balance that with the business side of it too which is a really real aspect and you know i didn't know how expensive frames could be until now either mm. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you really get into the the production of things um that's a big part of my job is is working with framers and printers and um getting everybody connected to have this beautiful final product is is a beautiful thing um so when we get submissions it makes me feel good whether we can host their work or not that they would want to be represented by us you know, so I think that word representation is is quite lovely um, in terms of like trusting somebody to put your work out in the world. Mm -hmm. So I feel I feel proud to work for a place that has you know a nice reputation like that of of presenting things properly. 
mm-hmm. and now it's a big responsibility of mine for that space. So I, I take a lot of pride in that too. Oh, and doing doing right by the artist also, like because there are so many examples of bad galleries who don't pay on time or they mishandle work or, you know, it goes somewhere and then the artist finds out later something happens, you know. Totally. So much, like it's in the ether everywhere. And, wow. and you're like, oh, you better watch out for that gallery. So, you know, also to hear, you know, Francis talk about like the relationships that she has with artists that Bruce has with his artists, you know, um, I think that's really great because it's like integrity, you know, it's like, it, it's a good relationship. You know, the artist is putting their trust and in turn putting their trust, which is actually really interesting because it, it's kind of like what our artists are doing with us. They're putting their trust in us and, you know, we're in turn going, okay, yeah, we have this kind of integrity and we'll, take care of you and we have we know we have this relationship together that um we'll do right by you with you know the fact that we are being entrusted with your work so yeah yeah it's a yeah i agree it's, it's a lovely thing uh, and when i was looking through some of the artists obviously i mentioned a couple of names um to you um paula riff i really loved the cyanotype stuff and um things made in gum you know it's a different alternative process um and then you know you've got everyday stuff um beautiful amy thompson i like theirs uh there was claudia gustafsson um shalasa oh. rashi um negative space photos of molly lamb um, yeah, molly, molly was one of my teachers i always oh, like right. to uh, think about that too molly and um Rachel that are part of the project. Yeah, there's there's so many different approaches yeah. to to making photographs. So Paula Riff, you you mentioned um, is working in an alternative process and the um, cyanotype process is historical yeah. and was first really discovered by Anna Atkins. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. an early uh, woman pioneer in photography. So Kind of speaking to that, we have um, Rachel Phillips that also utilizes um, alternative process and then using different size relations to speak to like correspondence and um, um, production at, at, at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Molly, I mentioned was one of my teachers, has these really quiet, um, serene, like still lives, which um, have a really different energy from, you know, say somebody who is photographing their children, like Ashley Coleman, mm. you know, there, I feel like you hit like a, a really strong wave of, of emotion and sort of like loud and soft and repetition and different processes that it feels, I feel each time we look through all of the images, it's like you, you really feel revved up from mm. each different process. Oh, it's fabulous. And it, it, it's funny because I think if you you put so many different people together, um, um, would they be able to create such interesting work? Because, I mean, let's say um, you gave that project to Meg and say some of her students say, right, this is what you want to do. Do you think you'd be able to get them to become artists? Like, let's say it's the first year group that have just come up. 
how different would that first year be to be the fourth year, for instance? Well, so I had the opportunity to teach our intro to photography class this term, oh, wow. and I did give them um, a project where they were to look at the archive of the Yellow Rose project wow. online and look at all the images, and they were to then actually go out and make images um, in response to the 19th Amendment as well. So essentially the same charge we gave our 105 artists I gave to my 16 students in my um, intro class. And, you know, there many of them don't know how to do alt process or collage yet, or these very like yep. laborious, you know, um, ways in which people are making photographs for our, our project. Mm -hmm. But um, they, they made some stunning images and yeah. I was really, really quite proud of them, you know, um, and it was it was really exciting, but this you know this was one of our goals at the outset is to have um, the archive, the virtual archive, be used as a teaching tool for people in you know whatever discipline um, that may be. But in the arts specifically, I mean, we have another professor at our school at Texas Women's who had um, the students also do something and then look on our website yeah. as a reference. And I think they were graphic design, but they had to create like up of some sort graphically about the 19th Amendment. And um, yeah, so I think if it were like fourth year students or graduate students even, hmm. you would see a lot of research, you know, hmm. and, and that was something I was actually surprised to see in our intro students. They they did um, go online and research about like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and various laws and things that weren't enacted until later. Like say for instance, um, you know, a woman wasn't able to own her own home or um, without a man, if she wasn't married essentially, no. or if he died, then the home went to the, to the brother or somebody else in the family, but it wasn't, she, you know, even the widow wasn't allowed to own the home. So mm. You know, they made they tried to make work in response to this stuff, but um, you know, I think if it was graduate students, they would they would dive in a bit deeper in terms of research, and that's what we would really hmm. really require them to do. You know, so um, I would love to. I could continue to see many many images made in response to hmm. this very broad sort of topic, which is the 19th Amendment and all of the different branches that it sort of intersects with. And so, hmm. you know, if we if we could have, we would have had as many people as possible contribute to this project mm -hmm. um, that we did together. But, it, you know, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we can only handle so, so many <laughs> corralling so many women hmm. at one time you know there had to be at some point like a cutoff so right but you see i think like my for instance my eight and ten year olds both girls i think i could do that project with them because mm. they're old enough especially 10 year olds to understand about um not having the right to do something because i don't allow them to do things um and obviously they love drawing so so you think actually it would help them because they're going to learn about history and she bloody mm -hmm. loves history. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I just think they, you know, these sort of things can be used in any context, to be honest. You know, a programmer could create something to do with um, 
rights and law and stuff. It, I think it's just um, inside people, isn't it? Yeah. And to learn about, you know, like, especially at a young age, the idea of um, being restricted hmm. um, and and how severe that could be from, you know, not being able to watch TV after 7 p.m. versus yep. um, being able to speak out in your own community. You know, there's a, there's a large range of... Um, how you would be affected by that. And to start thinking about that at a young age could be very valuable in how they how they conduct themselves and mm -hmm. um, think about art too, you know, to create art in such a, in a response to something so serious, um, what that could look like. So if you, if you try with your kids, we'd love to, I'd love to see I'll have that. to see what I'll say, yeah, I'll have to try it. That's great. I, I think all that stuff's important to me, so. I mean, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask, obviously, you, you both um, have your own careers, you're both artists. Um, I mean, Francis, some of your work was really different. Um, when I was looking at that um, book, what was it? Uh, Archive of the Ego. Oh. That was really different, wasn't it? That's really refreshing to hear. Yeah. Um, to hear it being different, you know, I think this medium is is often we look at photographs and say, "Oh, that looks like so and so." Oh, that looks like so and so. So uh, right. a lot of you know, there's there's a lot of that. I feel like I I struggle with where it's like, "Oh, it looks like a Bill Brand. It looks like this man's name, this man's name, or this man's right. name." And um, you see. Uh, so that's nice to hear that it looks different because it's well it's different for me too because obviously you you know a lot of people and work with people and your reputation of being in the industry so long it's different so when i'm looking at something i don't have these preconceived ideas of artists because i don't know anyone right uh, so, so, so it's easier but if i look at your work i could easily say oh you could have just done that in covid it could be like a lockdown series now sure yeah <laughs> um, yeah, they're a lot, they're very private pictures. Um, mm. So most of them, they're all self-portraits, mm -hmm. um, but they're typically made at, I was thinking about it earlier, you know, thinking about the questions that you had prepared. Mm. Um, they're typically all made in moments where I don't know what else to do. And my only answer is really to make a picture. Oh, wow. In terms of like, I don't know, anxieties about something or being in a place that yeah. is is unfamiliar or too familiar or um, something's happening and I don't know how to put it into words. I'm not entirely sure how to cope. So I'll make a picture. And they, um, um, the title also, the archive of the ego comes from, I have pictures of myself that I've made probably since like I was 14 or so when I was just started doing photography in high school. Okay. Um, and there's some of those photos that I look at now and I'm like, oh, wow, these are, you know, these are an important part of this archive. Mm -hmm. But when I was 14, 15 years old, you wouldn't see, you, I wouldn't let them see the light of day. Close. I feel like the, the word ego comes into play where it's like, oh, I'm willing to show this now <laughs> because I feel okay to show it. And meanwhile, a picture I took two weeks ago, I might not show to anybody for another 10 years. So mm. it's this idea of like perception and being present in a way mm. 
to look at something that I've made today, but not show it to anybody else because it's this private kind of moment that I've had with myself, but they're all, there's an immediacy to making them. So I'm thinking a lot about like timeline and my own, um, my own like censorship in a way. Yeah. Um, as you protect your ego. Yeah. Cause I know when you look at them, you're thinking, um, there's obviously nudity in some of the images uh, and obviously it's a big thing to do because you know, at some point public are going to look at this. Totally. And it's, it's once it's out there, it's out there, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, my, both my parents are still living. I'm lucky too, but it's like, he's like, Oh yeah. You know, my dad is like, Oh, you made that picture in that house. It's like, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but it's all, it's part of that process of like, you know, making art and putting it out into the world, you're going to deal with different responses. And yeah. uh, that's part of, that's part of it. I, no, I, I love things like that. I've seen someone local who, um, she had kids and she put on a little bit of weight and she used to be a model and, and she went back to just doing some portraits of you know, not hiding what a body looked like. And you know, I thought it was a fabulous thing. And you're quite right. Um, you shouldn't be afraid of who you are. Uh, I haven't quite got that, to that part <laughs> yet because I think it's something I've never thought about of myself in that sense. My work's never been about myself. Uh, and I quite like the fact that your work is about you and... Um, I think it's a strong thing to put your work out, but to also have part of nudity in there as well. I think it's amazing. So, yeah. Um, oh, thanks, for, thanks for the kind words. No, no problem. Um, and obviously, Meg's doing a, um, a collaboration about your Nevada journeys, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that project I did. Um, back in 2015 with a fellow photographer named Elliot Dudick and we um, traveled across the expanse of um, Highway 50 which bisects the state of Nevada and we decided to travel across this road called the loneliest road in America. It was coined that in, by Life magazine in the 70s. Wow. We were really fascinated by like um, you know why the road was called the loneliest road in America and what that might mean for each of us traveling across that road together in a car. And um, I, at the time, was pregnant with my son. And, you know, my whole thought was, you know, I'm about to bring this life in the world and I'm an artist and I really might never be alone, you know, alone again. Mm -hmm. You know, my life would truly after this point, you know, after he's born, my life won't be my own anymore. Yeah. And um, in a way. And so, um, you know, that was interesting for me. And I think, you know, for um, Elliot, his perspective was, you know, he's just really longing for or, you know, wanting to be in this very like close, intimate relationship. And I think, um, you know, and longing for like not being lonely. So it was almost like the opposite that, that we were feeling. Like I, I was like relishing in the loneliness and, you know, from his perspective, I think he was, you know, it was just a little bit different. And so um, 
we later decided to make a book out of that project and and then write about our experiences separately in this poetic prose at the very end of the book and um it is quite it is quite different you know um so and it's meant to be sort of an experience you know when you go through the book itself yeah. you we don't tell you what to think about the images beforehand mm -hmm. um sort of let you experience those photographs as if you were like in the car with us making those pictures yourself or seeing those scenes yourself wow. on the journey with us and then at the very end we share what our experience was and so um it's a, it was a a really hard but lovely book to make and um yeah i just i love everything about it. it was published by a small boutique press in virginia called zatara press and i just love everything about that book i mean also i love my collaborator elliot he's amazing and a, like an amazing photographer and um yeah just is like the book was just all heart you know which is just interesting because when you look at the photographs they're sort of like pictures of like desolate barren landscape sometimes sometimes snowing you know very you know deserty and so they feel very empty in a way but um i think it sort of allows for the viewer to like fill themselves up in that landscape that they're looking at you know with whatever's going on internally um but yeah it was a it was a really fun project to do hard but fun yeah that's cool i think right um putting it together in that way that's really clever i like that i might, I might have to steal an idea or two there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we we don't delineate either whose photographs are who in the book so uh -huh. you know there, it really feels like a real collaboration i mean each of us definitely made you know particular pictures um but we like the idea of like not gendering them and also allowing the viewer to be sort of open-ended as to like what even that what even that means either you know like to look through the eyes of a man to look through the eyes of a woman yeah you know, how might they approach the same landscape you know differently and so we kind of just wanted to level it out and so that's not really not really as much of a thing, you know, and, and also to say like, oh, this, you, you know, you could have made these pictures possibly, you know, yeah. if you had gone on this road trip with us. So, um, but yeah, so it's like a, I guess, you know, a different, a different kind of collaboration for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's clever thinking you see, cause I, I think that's another side that um, it can probably take you a while to get to. Whereas before we might just be putting a book together to have some photographs to show people, but you're thinking of other levels here, which, yeah, that's very clever. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're a book lover and I know that I am, and I know Francis is and a number of other people, you, you know, you think of like a book as, as like a real experience, whether, it's in writing, you know, that sort of transports you to, you know, the tactile quality of the book and, or yeah, as you say, something sort of clever as, you know, making sure that um, the, 
the perspective of the artists aren't really shared until the end. So you, I mean, hopefully you go back through the whole book again and go, Oh, oh she mm. was pregnant and she was on this road and, you oh. know, and then, Oh, there's clearly like, there's an interesting relationship between the two of them. Oh, okay. Like, what is this? You know? And then like this whole other story kind of is generated. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, I think of books as like an experience, the ones I really love. It's like, whether it's an, it's like tactile or whether it's this thing that somebody does to your brain, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Now, what, what I'd like to do now is to move you over into my fun random questions. Oh. So this is nothing photography related. It's something I do with uh, most people and um, it's just a bit of fun. Now, because this is coming up to Christmas, I thought we could do some Christmas questions. Oh, okay. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, come on, Meg, you, you answer questions all day long. This would be easy. I, I do, but I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, are we playing Trivial Pursuit? <laughs> like... <laughs> no, no, don't worry. No, no, it's not a quiz. Um, I'll, I'll ask okay. one of you to take the question. That's fine. So okay, okay. I'll give you a simple one first. Right. So it's your last day on earth. What song do you play? Who wants to take that one? Wait, is this Christmas related or no, just, just one just... isn't no, not yet. <laughs> Mine wow, I I I'm gonna say it. It's Petula Clark's downtown. Okay. That song. Yeah. Downtown. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a good song. You get extra points if you sing it. <laughs> no, I'm only joining. <laughs> Meg, have you got one? Oh gosh, you know, I think I should just go with what um, popped in my head, which was like a, a Radiohead song, which I I haven't listened to in such a long time, but it's like this song's like, um, it's got really heavy underbeats and it's, mm -hmm. I think it's called You're All I Need. Okay. Radiohead smashing, yeah. I love yeah. I, I listen to a lot, a lot of my 20s. See, yeah. What I find interesting is when I sometimes listen back to these random questions and the answers, and I think you do get insights into people um, that you probably don't realise. So, uh, okay, we'll go into Christmas then. So, you're in charge of keeping Santa modern. What email or social handle should you give Santa? <laughs> Well, Frances, I think, has to go first. She's an organizer of people. So this is Santa's, like, Instagram handle? Yeah, let's go with Instagram, yeah. Why not? I would do, like, at Big Jolly or something <laughs> like that. That's good. I like that. <laughs> would you like to better that, Meg, or are you going to let Frances handle that one? Well, like, I was thinking, like, I don't know, if, like, Santa or like hip hop or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking, yeah, like big, big S or big S or something like that. It's like hip hop yeah, Santa. That's really modern, yeah. No. 
Oh my gosh, that's a hilarious question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Santa, is he a saint, a magician, a time lord, or a serial trespasser? <laughs> or all the above? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, he, I love ma the magic of Christmas, mm -hmm. so I would have to go with magician. He's definitely a magician, yeah. We agreed on that away. Yeah, definitely a magician, but he is trespassing for sure. I'm not sure how he gets down those chimneys, you know? <laughs> not with all the mince pies and uh, milk and that, I think. Yeah. They're funny. No, that's cool. Yeah, I love Santa. Oh, I know Santa's age, I'm say. My daughters were just watching him before bedtime. Um, there's a comedy program where um, it shows um, people's videos with silly accidents and that in, and they all send them into this show. And there's uh -huh. loads of parents dressing up as Santa, and they're falling downstairs and catching their heads on fire and all sorts of stuff. Oh, gosh. There was one parent um, who had this idea where you write your letter to Santa and you put it in your um, fire, and they thought it would fly up the chimney. Well, it's obvious what happened. It set on fire. Oh my gosh. As a child, oh, and you're like, are you stupid? You've just shattered their dreams. Oh no. <laughs> well, maybe they were thinking something like Mary Poppins, you know, where they like tore it up and then they put it in the fire, and then that night it like shot up into the. Yeah. I think that's what they were thinking. Okay, so your next question then. You've been commissioned by someone you know and trust. And they said, if you press a button at a time, they will call you and wire you a million dollars. But you're not allowed to ask any questions. What would you do? Would you press? I would never, never press that button. Okay. Yeah, I have, I, like, I just don't trust people. <laughs> I'm the same, yeah. Francis? Yeah, I I don't think so. Because you don't know what that button's doing. You don't know who convinced them to convince me to push that button. Mm. You know? Yeah, it could wipe out something good, couldn't it? It's mm. cut it off, nuclear bomb. I mean... Exactly. Yeah. I don't, don't need that sort of guilt. No, <laughs> we're not all Donald Trump, are we, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't that. That. <laughs> mm. yeah yeah history for you isn't it yeah strange right. strange things you couldn't make this stuff up really to be honest that's for mm -hmm. sure right well thank you for going through those uh random questions with me yeah. i told you yeah. <laughs> the strike so fear into people's faces uh, faces sometimes it, makes, it makes me laugh <laughs> We can prepare so much for other things, you know, but then random questions, you never know what you're going to get. Exactly. Well, I think you get a lot of character in them as well, so it's nice to have a bit of fun. And yes. Oh, my gosh. End on a I like how we're both like, we would never take the money. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm about to move. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> oh, I can do with the money. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's cool. So uh, the last thing I always ask my guests is um, for a future recommendation. 
Now, obviously, you've got quite a lot of people you know. Um, is there anyone that you think may be interesting and might want to come on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, Francis had mentioned um, one of the artists that's in our project, but she was already doing a project before she became a part of our project about the 19th Amendment specifically and had been working on it for a number of years, but she also had um, about um, Inez Mulholland, who was a, a young suffragist in America, and she died really young um, before the 19th Amendment was ratified. And and then before that, she was also working on this project about the Underground Railroad in um, the United States. Right. Um, and so, yeah, she's really like heavy into like her research too, in terms of like history um and she's just a, she's a lovely person so we wanted to recommend her her name is janine mcnabales okay. um and so she's really great and um and she's like a part of our our project so we could recommend you know definitely recommend her um i mean there's so many there's so many people like it's like how do we even choose <laughs> i know <laughs> she's she's wonderful but like i also like we absolutely love marina font and you mentioned her at the very end of your like sort of mm. people you chose yeah. um marina's really great as well and she's um an argentinian born um but american-based photographer and she does those um beautiful photographs and then she stitches onto them and she's been making some really interesting work during covid actually that's it's a it's very different than the stuff that you know is in our project and um but she's lovely and um i think she'd be a really interesting hmm. person to ask and she's she's represented by a gallery in um in miami mm -hmm um so she's but she's just it's wonderful and it's also just wonderful thinking about like you know having more international people yeah. too you know yeah exactly so. yeah i mean that that's what i've been trying to do is to spread my wings in that sense and talk to people from everywhere because you know a, a lot of people i spoke to got me this idea of giving people an opportunity so yeah really I, nice. I feel that's a better thing than me just choosing every time um so i try and mix it's it up yeah no thank you yeah that's so amazing i mean it really is um i think it's important too like in a way to it's like it's being like socially conscious or like responsible to like the community to not be just like oh i just want to seek out the people that i want to seek out because it's my thing you know it's more like a because what you're doing for people is a service too. It's like, it's for you, but it's also a service to other people yeah. who get to experience, you know, your conversations. So it's nice when you hand over the, the mic, so to speak. And that's like in America, there's like a saying right now, right? About like sharing the mic. Okay. Um, it's, it's like more for like male-inated voices, but, ah. uh, like it's it's like sharing the mic with other people so i think that's i think that's pretty great yeah well, i think I mean, you should do yeah i i think so too 
I think so too. I mean, I think for future purposes in terms of our a yellow rose project or any project that Francis and I would do in the future, mm. we'll be sharing responsibility and mm. the mic, so to speak. I mean, we tried to do that in this project and I think we'll try and continue to do that however we can in the future, you know, and make sure that everyone feels like they're involved and invited and represented mm. the best we can do that, so. Well, I think it tells people about um, your personalities as well, both of you. Thank you. Oh. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh. Yes. And thank you to Sherry Lynn Bear for recommending us too. We're um, mm -hmm. thrilled to be introduced to you, Andy. Yeah, lots of thanks, Sherry. She's a lovely, lovely lady. There have been quite a few emails to and fro, and it was cool. We had a common interest in reading um, science fiction. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> so I was messaging, have you tried this book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is yeah. Nice. But I love the way um, the way she edited, so the way she was talking about, like, um, uh, I just try-loaded things. No, I'm not happy with it, so I keep going and trying things. And I thought, that's another really different way. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people have too many preconceived ideas about this is what the finished product should be or um, you go on Instagram this is what um, a beautiful model looks like this is what a beautiful wedding shot looks like this is what beautiful landscape mm -hmm. and I'm a bit more like I'm trying not to look because I'm not interested now mm -hmm. I want to do what I like that's right hopefully someone well, will like I it <laughs> yeah maybe I mean I think you know something I always talk to my students about is you know, you really love or you are really enjoying what you're doing, then other people are going to end up enjoying it, too. If you don't like it, then there's 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 no point. So, yeah. I mean, it's, like, it, it's sort of a testament to what you're saying. Hmm. Like, if you really love it and you really like it, other people are going to, I think other people will like it. That's how I feel. I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, um podcasting's done that for other people so like you were saying giving back um i had a gentleman from a magazine publisher uh, over this way and i really enjoyed the magazine he put uh, he's an independent publisher um uh, independent uh, freelance photographers he uses fabulous images really long form stories uh, really emotional subjects and things mm -hmm. and um I mentioned it on the podcast and a few of my uh, network, as he called it, bought the magazine. And like we openly talk about, say, he got the latest edition now. And, um, you know, it, he um, engaged with me and sent me a free magazine just to say thank you. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's like, well, I'm not doing it for that. Um, you know, and what I'm doing at the minute is um, I've read a couple of editions. So I've sent them out to someone. So, you know, um, people haven't got money at the minute. So I just sent them out for free and said, pass it on to someone else. I've hand wrote a letter in. Um, yeah. And I said, well, this is what I'm doing for you. I said, I can't do anything else. I can't afford to um, put an advert in your magazine or anything. But it's a free thing I can do, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. Mm. It's, it's paying it forward for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the important things that I can do. Um, with my limited knowledge and, um, you know, limited number of people. But every week it gets expanded um, through meeting people like yourself. So, so you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. 
us too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. No, we no really problem. Um, th thanks a lot for spending your time and, um, you know, best luck with this project and I'll be watching it. That's for sure. Cool. I appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Uh, look after your little one there, Meg. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for spending some time. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.